my wife, you know, often jokes that every conversation I have with my clients is the worst call they've ever had. And that's sometimes true, unfortunately, because that's where it starts oftentimes. Is. Hi there, friends. Matt Hunsaker here, welcoming you back to the State Tax Show. Thanks for joining. Today, I brought in the big guns to talk about a subject I hope you never deal with. What to do when you are staring down the barrel of a criminal tax investigation. Congratulations to the winner of our inaugural dessert challenge, who has asked to remain anonymous. The answer to the question of which word has three consecutive sets of double letters is bookkeeper. We'll do another challenge next week, but be prepared to answer quickly. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to the show so that you are notified of new episodes. I've got an awesome show for you guys today. And I can say that because all the awesomeness is coming from my white collar defense partners, Sean Cleveland and Rob Adkins. These guys are great. I have a special bond with them because Sean is the head of our new Dallas office that I was part of opening. And Rob is the head of our new San Francisco office that I was also part of opening. So all three of us are fairly new to Baker Hostetler and part of our two new growing offices. I brought them in to talk about prosecution of state tax crimes and really what to do if you find yourself in the midst of a criminal investigation. Here's our discussion. Well, hi, Sean and Rob. Thanks for hopping into the virtual studio today to talk about tax crimes. This is pretty exciting stuff as far as tax goes. Our listeners are pretty above board and probably will go through their entire careers without running into criminal issues. But it can be a little scary when you take a look at the long list of state and local tax crimes, especially when a chunk of them are actually felonies. So our goal today is to help them be prepared in the off chance a criminal investigation crosses their path. But before we dig in, our listeners have got to hear the story of how your paths first crossed. <laughs> Rob, do you want to you want to start or shall I? Well, since I was on the prosecution team and we usually go first, um, I guess I'll, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to jump in because we bear the burden. So Sean and I, um, a very long time ago, uh, found ourselves in a Houston courtroom for a trial that lasted four months involving uh, Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling, who you may have heard of as uh, former CEOs of Enron, who's the criminal yeah. trial. And uh, I was on the prosecution side, and, uh, and and Sean was on the side of what I now call truth and justice and defending the Constitution, which was representing <laughs> Ken Lay. Uh, um, and as you would expect, we um, it was a real knife fight, and we savaged each other in the courtroom. But uh, I will say, <laughs> Sean is a... Um, a terrifying lawyer uh, in trial, and a wonderful person uh, outside the courtroom. And so we, we I think, maintained a very um, respectful relationship during the trial. And um, 
as proof that uh, no good deed goes unpunished, he's now my partner uh, many years later at Baker Hostetler, and I couldn't be happier. Um, just really outstanding to have that kind of reunion. Yeah, of course, I feel exactly the same way. Rob is is just an outstanding trial lawyer um, and a great gentleman. I mean, we did uh, engage in mortal combat, but uh, very, very impressive and very professional um, throughout it all on his part. Well, guys, I think it's really interesting how in the legal professions, uh, paths cross and friendships are formed. So thanks for sharing that. Now, I don't think we have time to dive into every possible state tax crime, but to give some context to our discussion, I thought I'd give a brief overview of some of the areas where criminal issues arise in the world of state and local tax. And the most obvious is willfully or fraudulently failing to file a tax return or misstating information on a tax return or even falsifying or destroying records. That is all no bueno. Uh, Another thing, though, that often gets people in the hot water is collecting sales tax and then using that money for their own purposes or for company purposes instead of paying it over to the state. And people often fail to understand that when they collect sales tax, that's the government's money. And if you divert it to your own purposes, the states will absolutely rain down horror on you for that. And the reason why I bring this one up is because in this time of COVID with uh, problems with cash flow, I've often seen a lot of businesses almost bragging that they're going to use their sales tax collections to pay employees instead of turning the tax over to the state. And uh, I worry for those folks because they're going to be in a world of hurt. There's also a lot of other minor crimes, and I think a good example would be to for example, operate a retail store without a sales tax permit. I don't see states getting super aggressive and sending people to jail over that, but the criminal fines can often be quite draconian. When it comes to enforcement actions, as you guys know, states have a lot of tools. In fact, most large states like California and Texas, where we live, have separate criminal investigation units within their tax agencies. And these are not friendly auditors. They are law enforcement. You know, they may have guns or bring friends with guns. So when your audit gets referred to them, things are going to get real pretty quick. Now, they often have broad authority to search, seize records, and even property. And they can often uh, close down a property under a jeopardy assessment if they catch wind that funds and property may be disappearing. And I've had a few times in my career where I've received a panicked phone call saying that, hey, the sheriff is here and they're putting a padlock on my business and putting notices up on my door. What do I do? And that's not a fun position to be in. I've probably been talking too long, but I do need to make one final point. And it's important to understand that criminal actions are not just against the corporation or business but they are often against officers, directors, or what's referred to as responsible persons. And I think a huge chunk of our listeners fall into that last category of responsible persons. And even if they escape criminal liability, those folks are often left on the hook for making the state whole on the civil side. So now that our listeners kind of know what's at stake, 
let's talk a little bit about how uh, tax investigations or, or white collar investigations in general and the related criminal prosecutions work and what they could do if they find themselves in a mess. So, Sean, what signals are there that you might potentially be under a criminal investigation? Well, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of them. Um, people you don't know with guns or badges appearing at your office and uh, maybe showing you a warrant and asking to be allowed in to rifle through all your files and ask questions of anybody who's willing to talk to them. Uh, that's the most obvious and in-your-face way. Um, but there are other ways that you hope you find out about those things in advance. Um, you know, if it's going to happen, um, you hope you get some advance warning. And that can come in the form of a, uh, a communication from law enforcement uh, in the form of, you know, a call um, can come in the form of a subpoena, uh, civil investigative demand. It can come in the form of um, you know, various types of communications. So all of those things are ways that you can find out some more pleasant than others. Thanks, Sean. Rob, let's assume that you've seen the signals that Sean just described. What would you say is kind of your first line checklist of to-dos when you know that a criminal investigation is coming? Yeah, that's the, that's the question that uh, we always get you know, Sean and I, um, let's start it with the scenario that, that you started off with Matt, which is always the, the one that clients fear the most, which is that they get, uh, people showing up at their residence or sometimes their business, um, uh, and doing a search or trying to do what they call a knock and talk, um, where they want to try and interview you before you've got counsel. And that typically leads to the panicked phone call that you just mentioned. My wife you know, often jokes that every conversation I have with my clients is the worst call they've ever had. And <laughs> that's sometimes true, unfortunately, because that's where it starts oftentimes is these are good people. They haven't been in trouble before. And suddenly they find themselves in a position they can't believe they're in. And it's not hard to end up on the business end of an investigation. It doesn't happen often, but when it's you, it feels incredibly alarming, obviously. And so you fight that uncertainty with information. And so the first step is to figure out from your own client, you know, in a privileged conversation, what's going on? I mean, what can you tell me, um, warts and all, about how we got to this point? And then uh, to chart out a strategy. And typically, I mean, quite honestly, it's not very complicated. There's two paths in terms of strategy in those situations, depending on the facts. One is, you fight. Now, fight might mean just helping them understand that there isn't actually an issue here and how best to do that. It doesn't mean you're angry at them necessarily. And it certainly doesn't mean you're going to go to trial on this. You're really just trying to show them that they're wrong about that. Now, if it is a case where, okay, I didn't do everything perfectly, but I don't want to have to fight this, there's the bear hug. And the bear hug strategy is that you want to bring the government in even closer. It's a little counterintuitive, but you want to, instead of holding them at arm's length, you want to put this in the rearview mirror as fast as possible. You want to engage them, cooperate with them, help them understand what occurred and what didn't occur so that you can put this in your rearview mirror, maybe pay a fine, but avoid jail time if it's that kind of, a, of an issue. 
most investigations don't end up with people being charged and going to jail. So just because there's an inquiry doesn't necessarily mean that that's in the cards for you. So you have to assess the exposure that you have and which of those two avenues you want to take. And that's sort of the triage level, almost regardless of how how the matter arises. I am by no means a, a criminal expert, but maybe we can take a step back. I know that when police officers put handcuffs on me, that it's probably a pretty good time to call counsel. When should a taxpayer who thinks that things are going the criminal route, when do they involve counsel? The, the easy answer is the minute you think that might be the case, or the minute you think you might have done something that could lead to that, even if the government hasn't yet gotten involved. That's kind of, that's my perspective. I would guess it's Rob's too, but what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times an ounce of prevention is, is a wonderful thing. And sometimes, I mean, the best of us have, uh, everyone on this, uh, on this podcast have done things that we look at and say, oh, that was a mistake. I, I know I shouldn't have done that. It's not some malicious thing, but especially in the tax world, and particularly when it comes to tax criminal prosecutions, you're going to be okay. I mean, that's the good news. If you get ahead of it, especially if they haven't even launched an investigation yet, they may never will. There's things you can do to remedy whatever the issue was with respect to taxes. And if it is worse than that, and maybe you did a mistake that's a little more than just an error on your taxes, you can still get right with the authorities. And the reason for that is in tax matters, unlike most every area of law, there's very few other areas of the law criminally like tax cases. And that's because in every other area of the law, virtually, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Everyone hears that. Hear it when you're a kid. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. And it's generally true. If you knew what you were doing and you did it as a criminal matter, um, it doesn't matter if you understood that the law specifically prohibited that. Well, that's not true in tax cases. For most tax cases, ignorance of the law is an excuse. And the reason for that is simple. The tax code is incredibly complicated. I, you know, both uh, Sean and I have a history in accounting. Um, in, in one of my prior lives, I was a, a tax accountant. And the tax codes, even back when I was doing that work, are huge and they're very complicated and it is easy to get it wrong. And we don't put people in jail for getting it wrong. So it's just a long way of saying the burden of proof is much higher. And therefore, if you did something wrong, Getting right with the authorities can avoid that serious issue of criminal enforcement against you. Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, the tax code may seem big, but for us in the state tax world, we've got 50 of those things. Right. And and keeping up to date on, on all of them is quite an extraordinary undertaking. Sean, I, I, I enjoyed how Rob described the bear hug approach. Is there a any other thoughts that you might have on the benefits of cooperation in, in the course of a criminal investigation? I think what Rob said is, is right on. You know, you really have to evaluate factually what's happened. What does the evidence look like? And, and what kind of exposure do I have? And finally, how good a defense can I mount? You know, you really have to understand all of that at the outset to make that decision as to whether you're going to, you know, whether and how, actually, you're going to bring the government in close, how much you're going to fight, 
um, what your overall approach is going to be. You, you've got to do that. And so, you know, a key uh, is to obviously get on top of the facts and to do an investigation under privilege. You know, you can decide later whether or not you want to reveal the the facts you learn in the investigation of the government. But you got to know the facts to even begin to start um, assessing your your course of action. And you've got to do that with experienced counsel who really knows how to investigate thoroughly and in a balanced way and to give you good advice about how to then interact with the government. Rob and I tell people in practice that there's certainly a predisposition toward cooperating with the government. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that, you know, if there is a legitimate um, investigation into potentially real criminal activity, as good corporate citizens, as good citizens generally, we want to cooperate with the government. We want to stop that. Companies want to do the right thing. Individuals want to do the right thing and help the government stop um, misconduct from happening. So that's one reason. Another reason is that, not surprisingly, a lot of the policies around prosecution, particularly of corporations, um, very specifically encourage and reward cooperation with leniency. You know, a prime example of that in the in the federal context is the Philip factors, you know, that are to be considered uh, in deciding whether to charge a corporation, and they include prominently how much did the corporation cooperate with a federal investigation. Those are all great points, Sean. But how do you balance cooperation with the government potentially using your cooperation against you? When you're considering whether and how to cooperate, you really have to consider the specific branch of government, state or federal, and the personnel there and look at their policies and their history. Do they consistently reward cooperation by taking a more lenient approach with cooperators? Or does it not really move the needle? Uh, or even worse, do they have a history of using the evidence obtained through cooperation as a cudgel to pursue harsh criminal charges against even cooperating defendants? Guys, what are some of the common mistakes that people make in the course of criminal investigations? I mean, in my experience, when it comes to tax criminal investigations, the most common mistake is not even understanding that you have a tax criminal investigation. Sometimes you have a, a criminal matter appear quite clearly. So for example, you have basically what I call a glorified civil case um, that becomes criminal. And so you've got an audit, some kind of outreach, it builds, it later blows up, and then becomes a criminal investigation and you're facing you know, tremendous um, exposure. And so it ends up in a much bigger fine or penalty or maybe even criminal matter. That's pretty easy to diagnose. But in my experience, people underestimate the oblique way in which tax criminal issues can arise and often do. And oftentimes they arrive in sheep's clothing. And so I'll give you an example. I mean, we can go back, you know, the classic example is Al Capone. I mean, a notorious, alleged uh, mobster who uh, spent time in jail, not for any of those deeds, but for tax issues. The tax criminal authorities, and I used to prosecute these cases all the time, oftentimes it doesn't start as a tax investigation. You've got the FBI involved at the federal level. They're looking into something else, but they can add an IRS agent. They're called IRS criminal investigation agents 
to assist with something like uh, tracing of money and they find that there's a tax violation. Now, you can only bring in the IRS to investigate uh, if you believe there might be some tax misconduct. And so once they get involved, suddenly it becomes a criminal tax matter um, that you might not have been aware of at the time. And so that's something that it's important to understand and that, in fact, when it gets to the criminal level, tax cases, counterintuitively, don't really have much to do with the tax code at all. Whatever the tax code rules are, whatever it tells you you're supposed to have done, the point of a criminal investigation is that you ignored those rules and did something willfully, meaning you knew what the rule was and you did the opposite of it. That's what's required. And so you can kind of throw the tax code out the window. It's not that complicated. It's that you are subverting those rules. And so people think of tax issues as being clear issues that arise from, say, an audit. That's true in a civil and regulatory sense. In a criminal sense, it might come out of left field and you're not ready for it because you haven't been thinking about what else might be going on in what looks to be a completely unrelated area with a whistleblower or a separate investigation. To me, that's how tax issues emanate. And it's one that I think is perhaps underappreciated in terms of corporate compliance or individual preparedness. Well, guys. Thanks so much for sharing your insight. As much as I want you guys to stay busy and keep food on the table, I hope that none of my listeners ever have to call you. We get that a lot. <laughs> we hope that for them too. <laughs> Before we go our separate ways, I need a commitment from you guys. Our listeners often run into false claims in KETAM actions for state taxes. It's kind of the, the ugly side of state tax. And in some places like California, it's just going to get messier. And I know you guys are experts on false claims acts. So can I get a commitment that we can maybe get you guys back on the show down the road to talk about how to defend those types of cases? Definitely. Yeah, we'd love to. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys, and take care. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Well, folks, I hope you found that interesting. And again, I hope that you never have to call Sean or Rob for anything. Thanks for listening. Until next week, this is Matt Hunsaker for The State Tax Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.